Welcome again to HarmonaCast, the podcast where we talk harmonicas, music, and life with great harp players. I'm a player myself, your host, Bob Kessler, and we will get to our latest conversation coming up. In a minute, we'll have beatbox harmonica man, musician, entertainer, Yuri Lane. But here on the morning that I'm recording this introduction, I woke up, surfed the internet, and got the news about the passing of the great Toots Thielman. sure you've heard about it by now. He died at age 94 over the weekend. He retired from performing about two years ago, and I think many of us know he was really one of the main people to elevate the harmonica to be considered a serious instrument. Maybe not the first, the absolute first. I mean, Larry Adler comes to mind, but I do think Toots was probably the first guy to really be able to play bebop on it. And this is him playing from the early 80s with Bass genius Jocko Pastorius, Three Views of a Secret, actually Jocko playing piano on this version of it, live version. But like a lot of great musicians and artists in your life, you know, Toots really, for me, he just showed up many times in my life. The first time, of course, was with the Sesame Street theme. We all remember that one. I, like most little kids in the late 70s, watched that show, and the sound of that theme just kind of set the tone for the show so perfectly. Years later, I remember seeing the video on TV for Leave a Tender Moment Alone, Billy Joel. I want to introduce a friend of ours. This is a guy uh, I went over to uh, Paris just to get him on the, this next record. I think he's the uh, best harmonica player in the world, Mr. Toots Thielman. Oh, that's the Sesame Street guy, so it stuck in my head then. And then later, in high school, I was watching Night Music with David Sanborn on NBC. Great show on Sunday nights. Well, they had a killer band, but that's actually Toots playing alongside a metronome. He put out his... Brazilian albums, early 90s, so I heard him then. And then in 2001, I got to see him live at the Blue Note Tokyo. I was with Ramsey Lewis. I was the executive producer of his morning show, and we had been doing a promotion with an airline, and they flew us over to Tokyo to do some of our radio shows there. And we were wondering, what's going on in Tokyo? And at the Blue Note, you know, we wanted to seize that opportunity, check out Toots Thielman, because he really didn't do a lot of touring in the U.S. I think he mostly stuck to European festivals and stuff. Certainly hadn't played Chicago, where I live, for many years. So it was really a privilege to see him. And I remember midway or maybe towards the end of the show, you know, he'd played this burning set. He's 80 years old. And it's a great set of music, jazz, Brazilian, all this stuff. He was funny. He said, you know, I, I feel like we're all, we're all, we're all. He said, what's the Japanese word for friends? And someone says, Tomodachi, he says. I feel like we're all Tomodachi. And he made this kind of gesture, include everyone, like he was giving us all a big sweeping hug. Afterwards, got to meet him, say hi. Somewhere, somewhere in my files, I have a photographic print of myself with Toots Thielman, so I'm going to have to go dig that one out. But a lot of great memories and just such a huge catalog. I mean, 
I hope we all take a little time. I know I'm going to just go back and listen to Oscar Peterson and him playing with Bill Evans and Quincy Jones and Elise Regina and all these great people. So he will be certainly missed, but man, what a great legacy. So thank you, Toots. All right, we're going to get to our latest conversation with the great Yuri Lane, compelling performer, actor, activist, beatbox harmonica man, and vegetarian cook. And that is where our conversation picks up after we shared a vegetarian meal at his home in Chicago. That was good dinner you made there, Yuri. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. I mean, um, I know that you enjoy the vegetarian styles. I do. Because... I mean, it's interesting because I've been really um, thinking a lot about food and music and how uh, music can inspire food and vice versa, and food can inspire the music. And so I, you know, did this uh, supper club in the Bay Area um, about a month ago, and I made sushi for 20 people in this Oakland home, and then I did this hour acoustic set. Cool. Yeah. Have, how long have you been a, a foodie? Gosh, I've been a foodie since um, coming back from acting college and, and, and living in San Francisco. And so from my kind of my late teen years, I started cooking. And, and I, after college, I started cooking for my friends. And I'd be like, can I cook for $10 and make, you know, um, a dollar person, essentially. So a lot of pasta. Um, yeah, and I've just been a, a big foodie, and I'm the cook in the family, and so I'm, I pretty much make meals six nights a week, seven nights a week for the past, and now I've been with Rachel for 18, yeah, 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 since 98, so. You've been cooking for, for your her. family and your daughter Delilah. Delilah, that's right, so she's a vegetarian, and Rachel's vegetarian, so. That's how I roll at home with the vegetarian styles. So vegetarian sushi talking rolls. Vegetarian sushi is one yeah, of my vegetarian specialties. Sushi is great. Yeah, I, I just, I don't know, it's one of my favorite yeah. foods because it's clean. There's seaweed, which I always love. There's rice, and then there's a, a pickled element, yeah. and then there's some sort of teriyaki veggie. And so styles. much is in the assembly. I've never made sushi, mm-hmm. but in the in the Putting it together. It's very... You know, it's got to stay together. A lot so, of color combinations. It's very conceptual. It's got a really... Uh, it's got a just kind of a magic. You roll it up and then you cut it and then you have this beautiful design. Yeah. How did it go in San Francisco? The sushi or the dinner party? It was great. Uh, I, had, I did this performance, Tourette's Without Regrets, which is this guy, Jamie Kennedy. He is the great-grandson of Errol Ron Hubbard. And he's a real freak and movie director and wild character. And so he brought me to um, that performance and this couple came and saw me perform. And then they started following me on Instagram and Facebook and I always post yeah. all, my, all my dishes. And she's like, well, you're coming to San Francisco. Do you want to cook and perform? I'm like, yes. So I made 300 bucks. They paid for all the ingredients. It was awesome. Nice. Um, a chef happened to show up as one of the guests and and just lent his uh, his skills and helped me roll sushi. Roll and then you. And then I met the different, just different. Um, there were some other musicians that were there and 
Water Strider, this uh, um, band member from Water Strider, and there uh, he just was really digging my music and and just had my loop pedal and my my little amp and my harmonicas and nice. Sweet. But you're talking about the couple following you on Facebook and Instagram and everything, yeah. as, as do I. But you had a lot of success, if you want to talk about the terms of success being hits. So you had, I went to one of your beatbox videos, 10 million plus hits. Yeah, one so... of the, the ones. And so many people think, well, if I could just go viral, you know, with something. I mean, you went viral pretty early when that was even possible. I mean, YouTube I went viral early in the YouTube <clears throat> game or like now you know going viral is is like 50 million views or 60 million views or you know Gangnam style a billion yeah. a billion times so yeah in 2007 well it started out 2007 2008 I had a, my beatbox harmonica final cut video sort of black and white video uh, this guy who was a filmmaker in Ohio reached out to me and said hey I really love I saw your your video, grainy video from this beatbox festival in Baltimore that I did. And, um, and that, that, that particular video like kind of went viral on MySpace. Remember MySpace? Yeah, I do have And then YouTube reached out and then, you know, and then I put it, I uploaded it on YouTube and it went viral and I came in second for the best music video in 2008 and Google flew me around the world. I went to different conferences and license some music for commercials and it was a nice little run of a few years but uh, certainly things are different now in terms of um, how I use my videos I'm not really into YouTube recently yeah how are they different well um, you know I'm, I, th I think it's different now you in order to really make money on YouTube uh, you need to have over 200,000 subscribers. So I've got 15 million views, which is great, and it's nice for, to, you know, if I'm trying to get gigs or that's, it's a nice number, but I make $11 a month on my ad revenue. So it isn't so, quite the viral dream everyone thinks. Exactly. Like, I just go yeah, viral. I mean, I did, a show, I did a solo beatbox play called MeTube, kind of making fun of how I became obsessed with my views and, and, uh, um, but then the people who um, commented on my videos, you know, because back in 2008, from 2008 to 2011, 12, people were really into commenting. And now people don't really yeah, comment on videos. It's just not part of it. But I use those comments on, on all my videos as a script and sort yeah. of brought those, who are these people behind these laptops who are all of a sudden your, your fiercest critics or your greatest fans? There's, yeah, there, I guess there's a lot of power in that if you choose to tap into it as the person who's received the criticism. There's been countless things that have, that have come from my YouTube videos that people have been inspired to pick up the harmonica again. Yeah. And that has been just like, if I can give that gift to somebody, you know, I've also gotten messages saying I wasn't going through horrible cancer and I saw your videos and it made me, wow. you know, those type of things. Make it all worth they it. They make up for the, the dark. Yeah, the darkness. You know, uh, yeah. once we put our videos up on the internet, we are being commodified somehow, right? And so some people are, are, are much better or who have that skill to really commodify their product or their brand or their content. 
but I still um, enjoy uh, putting videos up, but I'm really more about posting it on, yeah. uh, on Instagram making a minute or less and do you let the criticism ones which can be you know what are they tro you know trolls and all that do you just let it roll off your back i mean those can sometimes be to some people i know you know they've been like physically threatened yeah well i kind of haven't experienced that recently that yeah. type of i mean i did get hacked last last year yeah. and that was horrible and i learned some valuable lessons like do your two-step phone verification because now to this day i cannot access my YouTube channel because it's really? it is uh, connected to Gmail and so even at Google where they should know who I am and I am they flew I am, you around the world they flew me around the world they won't speak to me uh, a human will not speak to me because I cannot fulfill the questions that they answer because I don't have access to my inbox inbox on my Gmail anyways that being said um, it's still it's a great it's still a great form for exposure, you know. Yeah. And so it may not lead to you know a couple hundred dollars a month or fifteen hundred dollars a month or five thousand dollars a month. Um, I end up getting gigs because people watch my videos. Yeah. Well, it's just the standard thing now, and you know everyone has to be on. Well, they don't have to be, but I think if you want to promote yourself, you got to be on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Mm -hmm. You just got to do it. It's yeah. Just part of. Um, but Again, I, you know, we had this conversation like, oh, should I, you know, try to teach the beatbox harmonica technique um, on YouTube? And then I, I, I'm thinking, well, you know, I'm st I feel I'm still such a student of the harmonica and that, um, and that like, I'd rather teach the beatbox harmonica technique to someone physically, we're like together, yeah. instead of putting a series of videos to show people, because I also want to not protect what I do because anyone can pick up a harmonica and then I tell them like you just explore because everyone beatboxes in a different way and everyone plays harmonica sometimes in different ways in which they oh, yeah. breathe oh, yeah. so I kind of um, I, I said you know let your imagination go wild first play harmonica then beatbox don't try to do it all at once right. at first but you beatboxed first right definitely I'm um, <clears throat> I mean, I'm really an actor first, and I was a child actor, so I did theater, television, film, commercials, radio, a bunch of industrial When videos. did you do your first acting gig? How old were you? I was 10. Young Frankenstein the 13th, a play. <laughs> this is a professional gig, not school yes, play. We're doing a real play. This is a professional play. Yeah. Uh, but I got my big um, break as a young actor at American Conservatory Theater uh, in a Woody Allen play floating light bulb and that was a just an amazing yeah. time and then I started doing a sort of the young ingenue uh, in San Francisco um, from age you know 13 until 19 but you have whenever I've seen you no matter where you are you are a, an absolutely fearless performer it's like fears not even on the table for you you don't have to get rid of it because <laughs> it never showed up at least that's my experience of you has it always been like that for you? That's a really good question. I think that certain times uh, I've certainly um, been nervous. I mean, I always say that if you're not nervous, then then something is not Something's right. a little off. Right. Something's off. Well, Ramsey Lewis, who you know I worked 
for and have still work for for yeah. a bunch of years. You call it professional anticipation. Mm, professional like anticipation. That one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and in show business too, you got you know you're waiting around, you're waiting around. Like when I was on the Steve Harvey show, I was really nervous, not about getting up in front of you know like live TV or having a big studio audience. I just got nervous just waiting. You know, yeah. waiting for three hours before I go have my two minutes or whatever. Yeah, minutes. yeah. And you got that. I think this is an example of your fearlessness. Didn't you come up to Steve Harvey in a restaurant in Chicago and say, hey, Steve, put me on your show? I all the credit to Rachel. Your because wife. Because we were celebrating our 13-year wedding anniversary. We went and saw the James Brown film. And we went to uh, Karen's on Greens, which is now no longer uh, there. But it was this sort of high-end vegan restaurant, and Steve Harvey was there with his like a couple of his boys, yeah. and they're all like flossed out in their zoot suits, you know, nice. and their hats. And I sat, I went to the bathroom, and I came back. I said, "Rachel, you know, Steve Harvey's here." And she said, "Well, go out to him," because like a year and a half previous to that, they had contacted me, and they're like, "Hey, we'd like you to be on the show." And I said, well, "That sounds great." And I said, "But I'm in." I'm in the UK. They said, well, thanks. <laughs> when you come back, talk to us. Then I came back and, and, and uh, reached out to a producer. And then they asked my age. I was like, gave my age. And then they never contacted me. Oh, man. So, Were they wanting somebody in their 20s or something? I think they wanted someone younger for that particular. Okay. Who knows? Yeah. Like, it's always. You're so young looking. Yeah, yeah well, thank you very much. And uh, so I was like, ageists, whatever. And yeah. then so I'm sitting there and I'm like, Rachel's like, go out to him. I'm like, I don't want to bother him. You know, people like famous people, like they just want to sit down and, and hang out. And she looks at me and she says, what would James Brown do? <laughs> and I said, get up off my back. WWJB do. Precious. So I got on up, went up to him. He's about to leave. And I was like, <laughs> started beatboxing. And he kind of looked at me. And he was really into it. And his friends, they were totally into it. And they started a big old smile on their faces, you know. Because you look at me and you just don't think that beatbox is going to come out of my mouth, which is always, I've always used to yeah. my advantage, being a little hip-hop um, Jew hippie from the Haight-Ashbury, yeah. you know. And then you know, he said, oh, well, all right. I said, you know, I tried to get on your show, um, boom, 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 and kind of just explained in 20 seconds that I had a time. And he said, all right. You tell them, which I guess meant the Steve Harvey show, you tell them that we, we met on Karen's on Green. You tell them that. So I reached out to this other producer, and then, you know, fast forward in different meetings, I got on the show. So, you know, Steve Harvey, he, it's all about redemption. His whole, his whole thing is all about redemption and these redemptive acts. So yeah, he definitely yeah. remembered me. He thought we met in New York, but it didn't matter. It was fine. <laughs> yeah, I get the impression he's a pretty spiritual guy. Yeah, he becomes a big, uh, big heart, but like a preacher on the show. Yeah. The show is like him talking about Jesus. It's pretty intense. Now, they didn't, a lot of the stuff that he, when he's speaking about Jesus, they don't air. It doesn't make it air. It okay. doesn't make yeah. it air. Well, there's that thing that went viral of him talking to the Family Feud audience, basically being like a motivational speaker, you know, just do it, was basically, you know. Yeah. And... But his all, if you just pick yourself off your bootstraps, yeah. you'll succeed. If you'll just be subservient to, to men, you'll succeed. Uh, ooh, that's kind of problematic. Uh, but this is also television. He's a talk show host. He's a best-selling um, relationship guru and who's been divorced three times. Like, you know? 
complicated guy. But Steve, complicated I give you mad props. He's, no, I, you know, I mean, I think he's just always wrestling. And um, I mean, I think he's a really good radio personality, too. I've heard his radio show. Like, yeah. he's funny. He's, he's quick. Funny. Oh, and man. he's off uh, the cuff. Kings of Comedy, he's, he's awesome in that. He is. I he mean, is. That's, he's great in that. He really is. All right, so you gave us a little sample of the beatbox a second ago. When you got into it, was it new at the time that you got into it? Was it a new way of performing? I mean, where, where did, what are its roots? Is it Bobby McFerrin even, Al Jarreau, that kind of vocal well, the stuff? Roots of, the roots of beatbox, when we talk, when we talk about modern-day beatbox, uh, we think of a, of a couple of beatboxers, one being Buffy from the Fat Boys was one of the first beatboxers to really get a lot of uh, exposure. So that's like early 80s, maybe mm-hmm. he got going yep. late 70s? Um, yeah, I mean early 80s. But in the 70s, there were, there were some beatboxers, but really in the early 80s, you know, during the birth of hip-hop, but a little bit later, like you know, late 70s into the early 80s. And they yeah. used to have beatbox battles. Um, you know, so there's Buffy from the Fat Boys, um, and then there is Dougie Fresh, right? And though those two are like the the big beatboxers that kind of brought it out into the mainstream. Um, Slick Rick and Dougie Fresh did a song, yeah. Six Minutes, and it's beatbox and rap. And it's still to this day one of the only beatbox and yeah. rap collaborations that was a hit. So we're still searching for that. And then, um, and so beatbox is really part of uh, the ele- one of the elements of hip hop. Yeah. And, and people have been trying to emulate instruments um, and emulate the sounds of animals. You know, we can go back a couple thousand years to the Greek plays and yeah. people were doing sound okay. folly of the different animals that were in the play yeah. and they do yeah. the sound effects. Um, so like from the Greek, tra- you know, from the, from the campfires to early humans to Greek tragedies to jazz yeah. and scatters vocalizing, doing the sounds of trumpets and the sounds of different instruments. And that kind of, you know, was always there kind of always in the background and people, Al Jarreau, he, he, I mean, I saw a YouTube video of him, just like the vocal genius and him like, you know, doing sort of a beatbox, but not really. Yeah, and yeah. then kind of going into the police academy and Michael Winslow was, was discovered and he is a master a sound effects technician and beatboxer. I don't think he gets his due. I think people kind of he think has of got him. Really, I think publicly people the, in the, the beatbox world, in the beatbox world, but in the public, the general public, they see. Oh, he was that police, the goofy guy from Police he Academy. He made those but, movies just but, yeah. straight up. Like, but I mean, I see him as a serious artist. He's an incredible. But I don't artist. think a lot of people do. Beatboxers no. do. But, and I think yeah. that may, one, maybe one of the reasons why is because he's always navigated uh, t- more towards the comedy world. Like he, when he tours, he does comedy shows. Yeah. And so maybe they look at it like, oh, you know, it's still part of that party trick or it's like a vehicle that you use to make people laugh. But like, you know, there's a video of him. He can just do, he can do, um, you know, the vocal guitar um, like nobody's business. And he uses some effects a little bit, but he does Jimi Hendrix, like Star Spangled Banner. I mean to the T. You're just like, that's done by a human. So, so then there's, there's him. 
right? Yeah. Then Bob McFerrin, and I had the, um, I was blessed to grow up in San Francisco. And so I got to see Bob McFerrin, met him a couple serious times. Serious cat. Serious cat, uh, a big inspiration to me, the way in which he, uh, you know, is this like, he has this three and a half octave range and how he uses improvisation. Like he doesn't even, he doesn't even know what he's going to do when he goes out and perform in front of thousands of people. Now he has many, many songs in his head and all yeah. this, but the way he, in which he thinks about music and being a conductor and me being the son of a violinist, my mom's a violinist, yeah. and so had that classical approach. And then Razel, Razel uh, became famous. He was a beatboxer with The Roots, the band The Roots. And he became the godfather of noise. And so he's known for where he would beatbox. Right. Now that's just one, everyone, that's one person. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that I think is part of the cool part of it. Even now I'm sitting here and my, I'm looking at one person making the sound, but I'm hearing more than one thing going on at a time. And it's Beatbox all voice. is magic. You're, where is that sound coming from? And that's what the harmonica and the beatbox are so similar. And that you've got this reed instrument that you stick in your mouth and then you can't really see how you're doing it. Right? Yeah. And with beatbox, it it's, kinda, it's the same way. Yeah. You know? so, so when did you get the idea to bring the two together? Harp and the beatbox? Well, it actually goes back to uh, acting college. We were doing... Uh, Henry V, and each group of the Where first this year, going? <laughs> someone had a harmonica, and like for an intro, I did a little beatboxing into the harmonica, and like everyone's like, "Oh, that's really cool," and I was like, "Oh, that is kind of cool." I just kind of came up with it. Then fast forward um, to uh, this show that I did in San Francisco called Soundtrack City, and one of the characters, Leopold, he's this homeless guy who plays harmonica, and he, he's all about talk, telling everyone just to listen to the world around you. You can learn a lot by just listening. And then I go into this little beatbox harmonica, little, just a little riff, and everyone started clapping like a hoedown. Everyone just loved it. And, they, and I just, everyone started smiling, and I was like, well, that's really cool. I have to maybe actually learn how to play the harmonica, you know? And then, of course, my wife, Rachel, got a gig as uh, a professor at UIC, and we University moved, of Illinois Chicago. Yeah, yeah, we moved to Chicago in 2003, and that was kind of the beginning of of coming to the mecca of harmonica players. In the, we got in a certain, few here. We yeah. got a few, right? I mean, it's long <laughs> Howard Levy. I mean, I mean, the list goes on and yeah, on and on. Yeah. It's just incredible, you know, um, from the greats. So, I had a friend, um, Doug Fogelson, who's a nice harmonica player. Yeah, and, yeah and uh, amazing artist and he kind of took me under his wing he's like all right don't beatbox into the harmonica just play one keyhole just blow into one keyhole and so we started to simply play and and I, you know i took a class at old town school of music incognito not saying that i'm a beatboxer yeah just trying to learn the basics of harmonica but i've actually um over the years have um certainly gotten better at playing harmonica and I think that one of the things that happened a couple years ago is I was doing the show MeTube and it, you know, it didn't get very good reviews. It was kind of my first play that they appreciated my talents but didn't like the show. And Beatbox Harmonica is definitely a big part of the show because it's about 
me going viral and the experiences. And I felt blues for the first time. I felt the blues inside of me. And so since that time, I started playing and expressing myself through the harmonica um, as opposed to playing the harmonica, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Like it became a vehicle for expressing the heartache or the, the angst that I had that something wasn't going that well. And then I was like, well, this is what the blues feels like, straight up. And then that started like, and then I'm like, oh, you know, the bending of the notes became a little cleaner. And, and each kind of each year I kind of go, oh my gosh, why was I not using that right, tongue locking right, right. technique? <laughs> and now I'm, I'm now becoming less and less reliant on just doing beatbox harmonica, you know, with the loop pedal, um, just playing harmonica, then bringing in the beatbox harmonica. Yeah. I've recently in the past six months have, have um, been doing that, starting my set, my if I'm doing a music set, to just play harmonica. Don't do any beatbox. Don't start out with something like that. Just show them that you can play and that you got some chops and also that um, you, you know, the way in which I play is a little different than others. And then when the beatbox harmonica element kind of comes together, like as Joe Felisco says, like, yeah, man, we need that, uh, that boom. Yeah. That, uh, you know, like, uh, and like I teach harmonica through the throat. And that's kind of how I, that's a lot coming through the, <laughs> the throat. The throat's a big part of it. And sometimes people forget about that. So, Well, show us a thing or two.
little steam train homage in there? Yeah. Okay. The harmonica, like the guys really kind of trying to emulate the sounds of the train. And so the my beatbox harmonica technique is definitely going back to the yeah, chugging. Yeah, yeah. Chugging all that, that really solid rhythmic playing. Guys like um, Peter Madcap does a lot of that. His thing, I remember seeing a video of him, you know, talking about what syllables you should do to, to get good rhythm. So did you Peter have Madcap. to sit down and, and figure out? okay, if I make the beat here, I'm exhaling, and but then I want to inhale with the note, or did it all just kind of come together and just like this natural kind of state? It was more like for the, like kind of in the, the beginning, early years of the beatbox harmonica, it was more about on the exhale. And so the exhale is not necessarily the blues sound. Right, not usually. So that was always the challenge. Like when, you know, because you can... <laughs> right? out so that's an excellent how, yeah how are you going to get it yeah how do, how do you do it and i think it's more about you play the inhale and then you kind of in the you know you can go right you can mouth percussion stuff yeah but i think you just need to on the inhale you just got to do you got to play and not beatbox but you have to indisperse it not beatbox for a few milliseconds because yeah, exactly. you are beatboxing it's just not at that very yeah moment yeah yeah it's a, it's a suspension yeah. of disbelief too, you know. Like you sometimes you think you're hearing something, but it's like um, with especially with beatboxing and, and and talking at the same time. Now they they actually have coined it as beat rhyming, so you can beatbox and rhyme one time. Bob Kessler, you heard, you know, I heard you in your Johannesburg, right? So people are beatboxing and rapping at the same time. People people are beatboxing and singing at the same same time. It's so interesting because other people are using other instruments as an extension. Yeah, there's a sax guy in town that I found out about because yeah, of you. Yeah, yeah I forget his name. Together. But it was pretty awesome. Yeah, um, but like, if for all those saxophone players out there, like you have to use your tongue. So it's a different type of beatbox. Yep. I, I want him to. He needs to. He needs to take a couple of lessons because his beatboxing, like, it's come out that, like, he needs some more. But then I think it's because you, it's tongue. Like, there's certain things you just cannot do yeah. when you're playing the saxophone and the tongue. And you teach kids. I do. I've been teaching beatbox and hip-hop theater improvisation for the past 20 years. You know, they say that you learn by teaching, so what do they teach you? What do kids teach me? Yeah. Well, they certainly teach me um, that the that that childlike um, fascination with the world and being able to just express themselves freely and always stay connected with that childlike. Because the beatbox is very rooted in the language of babies. <laughs> It's all like they're developing language and starting to beatbox essentially. And that, so what I learned from kids is that they are young philosophers. Sometimes they, they, they observe the world in a way that is so different than when you are an adult. And so they're very open. It's also can just be really challenging. Um, but kids really kind of connect to what I'm doing 
and I and I and make I kind of free them kind of free them up their inhibitions that they have. Now my you know third graders are, are some of my favorite students, but then I love the college age because they've you know they've taken music or they've taken like years of acting, so I don't have to start from scratch with them. Um, and kind of seeing them over the years at different camps and seeing them age is really kind of special. But I, it's really it's I think it's that that um, that kids are just really ready to to go for it, and they um, can teach you a lot about your own artistry and you know your own level of patience and. It's been really awesome to work with my daughter Delilah, and so I've she's got like, the bug. Yep. She's got the total bug, and and how um, we you know we really have to practice together um, because I need to make sure to do the same type of beatbox and that and that we you know that it, we're on the same page and that as a solo performer like okay everyone's watching you and that if you mess up you mess up but if you mess up and your daughter's on stage then you're gonna make your daughter look bad. Nobody wants that. No one wants that. And then, and just having a blast, you know, performing with kids. So she's a singer, your daughter. She's a singer, dancer, so actor. Far. She's got the triple threat yeah. and classical Indian dance, so she can do Bollywood if she just. And she decided. is how old? She's eight years old. Eight years old, going on. She's eight, going on sometimes eleven. But she's also. Just so funny and so smart, and uh, and really very kind. So I, I hope that 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 just that makes me the most proud. Really, being kind and sensitive and, and a good person, and that kids that that kids also another thing about kids that because I've been doing some interfaith work the past two years, and that um, you know, the kids when they learn about other faiths or learn about other people in, of different ethnicities and different color, there's no racism at a certain age. And so- I haven't learned it yet. haven't learned it yet. And so that's what it makes me realize it's taught. So if you teach your children hate, if you teach your children to not be acceptable, you know, to not accept people um, based on who they are, um, then that's what's gonna happen. So that's kinda, you know, that you can be really impactful to kids. And, and sometimes it's frustrating, but then if I've reached one or two kids, everything is, it's worth everything. Nice. Now there's a, a pretty strong beatbox community. You're also part of the harmonica community. That's a lot of our listeners are part of that. But what do you think of the beatbox community and the harmonica community? Are they similar in any way? Oh, I, you know, I think that, um, I think that they're similar in that from, from what I get is that Harmonica players aren't—they're pretty supportive of other harmonica players. I don't, but maybe there's sometimes. a sometimes. All right. So <laughs> well, the joke is, what did the one harmonica player say to the other one? Yeah, I bet I'm better than you. So there is a little <laughs> bit of that gunslinger. Okay, so mentality. all right. So the, at least it kind of in blues more, but yeah, it's going away. I mean, you're not going to find that in a Joe Felisco class at the Old Town School, but it, that kind of has been a thing for a while. Yeah. Yeah, well, and also... But the there's also support. It's an incredibly You know what? The harmonica and the People beatbox so are nice similar in that, like, you know, everyone's like, ooh, a harmonica. Yeah, I'm into that. All right. I don't want to hear that much of it. Beatbox. Oh, that's really cool. I want that beatbox. That's cool. All yeah. right. 
And so, you know, sometimes the harmonica player, like, oh, you get that solo and then you're, and that, and you're done. And now I think the harmonica and the beatboxer are a lot more elevated within music now. Like, you hear it a lot more. Um, and so the beatbox community is extremely competitive. You're right. It's a worldwide community, like the harmonica community. Um, the championships are in Berlin. You've got Honer Harmonica, which is my sponsor, right? And they're out of... Trossingen. Yeah. They're out of Germany. Um, and then you have uh, different beatboxers from all around the world with different techniques. Uh, the American beatbox community right now is just, just taking it to a whole other level. They've been the last two like champion world champions. And for a long time, for about 10 years, Europe just had the lockdown on the comp competitions and kind of taking the art form really from, you know, it, from drum and bass now to dubstep. And so there are so many beatboxers now emulating the sounds of dubstep, which is really a music that is taking kind of hip hop, ska, reggae, and then giving it like all these like 8-bit 808 crazy bass waiting for the drop, right? And that humans and beatboxers can emulate those sounds. All these sort of deep, resonant, you know, almost like tube and throat singing um, beatboxes really in terms of technique gone a lot farther in the past couple years where cats are doing reverse lip rolls and different sounds that I can't make, which is exciting to me. And I want to make those sounds. I'm not like... Yeah, I'm jealous of it, but I want to I wanna learn. And then, but what I have with the beatbox harmonica and also me being a beatboxer that does beatbox in a different way, even when there was other people beatboxing, I w had a different technique. Just to, I developed my own style, my own technique. No one taught me how to do it. Yeah. And now people are being taught how to beatbox, which is very different than 15 years ago. Same with harmonica. And it's that same thing. Right. It's, everyone has a personal approach to the music, but then there's also learning from the collective but so it's both things at once things moving both the internal and external directions and i think that's what makes a great community you're right and also just like you know connecting with you and getting more involved in the local chicago harmonica community and and us doing collaborations yeah. and performing and also um harmonica players have been really open to my style and my technique but i felt like the past couple of years i feel like i have a little bit more um, to offer in terms of playing, so I'm, I'm not as afraid just to like jam and play with other yeah. harmonica players, you know? And I'm like, hey, I'm getting a little bit better. Like, and then when you hear yourself, you know, from five years ago, you're like, oh, I don't know if I can listen to that <laughs> from five years ago, but. I think that's common among many art forms. It is, totally yeah. is. I mean, it's also your own perception of yeah. how you're hearing yeah. it. Um, but yeah, the beatbox community and the harmonica community, um, are so similar in that they're portable instruments. You take yeah. it wherever you go. And that is something. Did you hear Tim Kane? Yeah. yeah oh, of course. It. Oh, I mean, I was like, that's my I vice president it. right there. I posted it. It's been posted on yeah, my posted pages. It. Well, because it's been posted in every direction. But I learned it because oh. of a million other people. Yeah. And that's just so awesome. And then, you know, another, I mean, I've been doing some, some um, research on the history of the harmonica and and harmonicas through history, you know, like they passed out the harmonicas during the Civil War to both sides for t so they could play their patriotic songs. Oh, I never knew that. So like they got their kit, right? And each kit was a harmonica. Really? Yeah. I didn't, I never knew that. Yeah. And then I'm like, okay, you know, yeah. where does the harmonica come from? I'm going back to the Shung, 
the Chinese, yep. uh, you know, crazy mouth mm -hmm. organ, you know. I want to pick up one of those and try to beatbox into it, but it's, it's different. That would be awesome. Yeah, because you use your fingers to, uh, to activate the reeds. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's next for you? Well, I've really been curating these shows. Uh, I started this collective company slash, yeah, collective, Chicago Beatbox Limited. So I've been curating these shows where I have about five beatboxers, um, old school, new school, uh, Asian, African-American, very diverse in, in that the, um, the different performers are different ages. And, and then I have different hip-hop artists that join um, the different performances that I do. So I'll have a tap dancer, and then I'll collaborate with a tap dancer, opera singer, DJ, musicians, b-boys, b-girls. And anyone can join the collective, but it's definitely beatbox-centric. But I'm really about taking beatbox and having it um, complement other um, music. And so the collaborative aspect of beatbox. And so then I'll have a curate a whole performance, and I'll be the host. I'll perform with some of the features, and then I conduct a beatbox symphony at the end. So on, on the 26th and 27th of August, I'm going to be performing with Collaboration Theater, which is doing a festival called Peace Book, which is all about um, trying to find ways of making peace in Chicago through performance, so the seven-minute performances. So I'll be at Clarendon Park um, performing a seven-minute beatbox symphony with my Chicago Beatbox Limited crew. And so we're going to do a whole beatbox group piece um, with the theme of peace and how can we make peace. And that, that's what's kind of next for me. And I'm, you know, I really want to come out with another mixtape um, and, and kind of come out with another, a different um, feeling for the music. I've really been taking my looping, live looping, and storing my music and, and finding new ways to sort of uh, create a song live and then remix it live and become the DJ as well. And then having, um, you, know, you know, six or seven harmonicas in front of me and kind of playing with the low harmonicas, you know, create the groove of the low harmonica and then solo with, you yeah. know, and C and that's been just really sweet. And, and then I've actually decided um, that, you know, I started out as a professional actor and I've still been doing solo beatbox plays for the past 15 years, but I want to get back into acting. I want to get back into doing a play and maybe being a part of an ensemble. Cool. As opposed well, it's good theater town here. It's a you great You can make a living at it. Yeah. Doing, and then also being theater. a stage dad to my daughter and that cool. really um, making, a, making it possible for her to get um, opportunities to, to do theater to do nice. live theater. Should we play out with something from the last beatbox mixtape? Which cut should we do? I like the, um, I mean, I think Blues Hop is kind of fun. Always a pleasure to hang with you. Yeah, well, it's so great to eat together, yes. break bread together, 
A man can burn. You know how to cook. You know, um, I really love to cook. And so yeah, I want to continue to take my um, skills as a cook and also as a performer. And that both are performative, right? And so why, you know, bring me to your home, I'll cook an incredible dinner and then I'll do a music set. All right, I'm a witness to both. Yes, he's been a witness. Shake your booty and do that right. The always entertaining and insightful harmonica beatbox man, Yuri Lane. And of course, you can check him out Facebook, Instagram, his YouTube channel, of course. I'm Bob Kessler. Thanks a lot for listening and subscribing and for the emails and for everything else. I'm on Facebook. It's bobkesslerharmonica.com, WGN Plus, of course, iTunes. That's where you can listen to now. We got more than a dozen of these. So thanks for all the support, everyone. Keep the faith, happy harping, and we'll see you next time on HarmonaCast.